This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 97. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts, Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick, and I'm joined by my co-host once again, Lisa Clow. Lisa, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing never better. Lisa, what are we talking about today? We are answering our listeners' questions. All right, so we've got a first question here from Lila, or Lila, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, and uh, she always has great questions. She's got one today. I've got a question. A lot of private art colleges and public state colleges don't teach artists how to make a living after graduation with their art skills. My question is, why not? What's a big secret? Why are they hiding this knowledge? At my state college, the only thing we have is a portfolio review session for art majors, and that's it. The entire art major is devoted to learning art skills, which I understand. However, I'm just disappointed that they don't teach us more about how to be successful before and after we graduate. I think I've learned more from Lisa's videos and the Color Pencil podcast about how to promote myself than I've learned from school. I've taken business classes on my own as electives. I also went out of my way to buy a book by this illustrator who makes a full-time living from her art. I guess I'm just disappointed that schools don't teach more about this. Why are they holding this knowledge hostage? What are they afraid of? This one is actually fairly simple. They're not holding it hostages or they're not holding it hostages. Uh, I guess all the knowledge, plural. Um, they're not holding it hostage. They don't know. You're talking about teachers who that is their career is teaching you art. They don't understand how to market. They've never had to do it themselves. So it, it, this isn't an issue of they're trying to be big jerks and keep all this from you and it's hidden and no one can know. They don't know. And because they don't yeah. know, they can't teach it. So that's why you're finding more of this information from those of us who have been in this field for a very long time, who have learned the hard work what does and does not work. I don't think, again, I don't think they're trying to be jerks. They're not just trying to hold stuff back. It wasn't taught to them either. I mean, like you said, it's it's not taught. Yeah. So they, when they went to school, it wasn't taught to them. I don't know very many artists who learned anything as far as marketing their artwork, branding their artwork in school. That was all had to, or that they had to learn after school, outside of school through books or through mentorship programs or something like that. But it, it's just that these schools, their teachers aren't educated themselves in that subject. Right. You know, and I think you're headed in the correct area or headed in the right direction, rather, with going to these business classes, taking those as your electives. I would also recommend some marketing classes and things like that. Get a good traditional base under yourself. I, I took a lot of business classes when I switched majors for a while. And the, th- the thing about it is you, you can also, you know, read, read about small business practices and find out how to run a small business because that's what it is. You're running yourself. You're running your own small business. And, you know, you kind of have to learn that on your on your own. It You know, it's different because you're not going to, you know, a vocational kind of school, you know, if you're getting a degree in art and 
yeah, you're there to learn that craft, and they're, that's, that's kind of what they're doing is they're teaching you that craft. They're not teaching you the business side of it. So, Which is unfortunate. I wish that they did. It is unfortunate, I, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, I can understand it on the other hand that, you know, that's, that's what they're doing. I mean, when I – you know, you take civics or you take economics or something like that, you know, that – they're not going to give you anything. A, a professor typically isn't going to give you anything practical to walk away for, walk away with. They're there to teach whatever that subject is, and as boring and as you know, rote as some of the topics are in universities, that's what they're. That's that's the only way to you know acquire a lot of knowledge and and to be a well-rounded individual. But you've got to search out some of that information on your own to be pragmatic about running your business yourself, and you can do that. I mean, it, this is it. If at any other time, you know, you were trying to start a business, it might be challenging, but we live in the best epoch of time ever where we can market ourselves and we can start a business from scratch. And I think it's an exciting time to be an artist. It really, really is. The only other time in the past or throughout history that may have been able to compete, I think, as when was a good time to be an artist mm-hmm. was back when you had actual apprenticeships, you know, a couple hundred years oh, ago, yeah. years ago. That's a good point. That would have been right. an amazing time to be an artist. Yeah, it would have. But uh, because you're that. actually learning from the masters. But yeah. now his things have switched again. So we went through a phase where no one was teaching mm-hmm. anyone how to do things. And now, I mean, you're not limited to learning in art school anymore You because you don't have that mentorship, the apprenticeship programs that we used to. But we've got YouTube videos and all of these online courses that are just so helpful. And again, they'll teach you business and marketing as well. For artists, I recommend finding, as far as trying to figure out how to brand yourself, find some artists that you can see that are are doing what you want to do, that are successful, and figure, you know, copy what they're doing. Not obviously word for word exactly. I've seen people do that where they'll copy my bio almost word for word and just change their name out. It's just like... No, that's not what I meant. That's not okay. But um, that made me laugh when I've I've seen that happen a few times now. And it's like, okay, then I guess my bio is everybody's bio. But, you know, look at what they're doing. Look at how they're branding themselves. Look at how their website is set up. And then go a step beyond that. Don't limit yourself to artists. Look at how other companies brand themselves. Look at a company that you admire, that you like their business model in general. And how did they brand themselves? How did they set up their website? What type of information? Because you can apply that to yourself as an artist. For me, that was the big move when I started understanding business and marketing. And it was when I stopped solely looking for artists to base my business around. I started looking at successful businesses and going, how can I apply this to art? How can I apply this to mine? That's when I started seeing the turnaround. Yeah, because I mean, let's face it, most artists are terrible at this. Yes. I mean, I'm not trying to slam artists, but a lot of artists, they're horrible at uh, knowing business and knowing how to market themselves. And here's the thing. Look at branding experts. Some of them are worth their weight, and they know how to position other businesses because that's their thing. They studied that. So you get a good marketing person, a good person who knows branding really well, and you you can go a long way, and it's worth paying somebody to do like a brand evaluation or something for your business if if that's something that you want to take seriously and you want to start you know being able to uh, treat this like a business so i commend you on that and go forward i mean this is awesome you've got all that learning under your belt now now you know this is this is what i call the fun 
part too. I mean, this is an easy part of things. It's challenging sometimes, but it's also very exciting and fun. So good job on that. And uh, let us know how it's going. Our next question is also from Leela, who says, In One Colored Pencil podcast, John and Lisa were talking about how they didn't believe in right or left brain dominance theory. May I ask why you don't believe in that? I think this is going to be a John question. I never said that. No, I'm I'm kidding. No, here's the thing. No, I'm not. I I don't really have. I've studied this in the past. I I didn't really prepare for any kind of scientific discussion about this Uh, because the bottom line is this for me is that, you know, you, you may have a inborn predilection towards some area of, you know, artistic area and and, you know, maybe you're musical, maybe you're artistic and that sort of thing. And I am. I play guitar. I've played in a band when I was younger. I've I've sung for, you know, many, many years. Here's the thing, though. At work, I do math all day. You know, I, I do programming and database programming and, and uh, development programming. And I, I look at algorithms and I do math and logic, which is math. And so I, I can use my left brain just just fine. I mean, I, I believe more in that eclectic kind of uh, approach to life and isn't that what a lot of the old masters were all about, Lisa? I mean, they you know there weren't chemists back in the day, and they invented their own paints. They had to know a little bit about how to mix things together, and they they figured things out. And so it's the same way with business. You know, you can't give yourself a pass if you're an artist and say, uh, I you know I do art. I, I I don't know accounting. I can't do anything in accounting. So I I you know my finances they can just be a wreck. I don't care. I'm an artist. You know, I'll, I'll get by whatever, I'll be this starving artist. Um, just doesn't work. So you have to know some of those things to be able to get along in life. You have to do some of the quote-unquote left brain type of things. That's the thing for me. It's more about this is a personality th- a predilection. This is something that maybe you're drawn towards more so than somebody else. But it doesn't matter. You still have to be a well-rounded person and interact in ways that people would categorize as being left brain. Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you right. covered that quite well. All right, question five from Kelly. She says, so I broke down and bought a pack of 12 of poly, or the 12 pack of polychromos and a white luminance pencil. I have an old large that, that luminance pencil uh, off topic here or, or uh, this is me talking. It's probably the same price as the 12 pack of polychrome. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. So I have an old large set of prismas that I got like 15 years ago. I have two questions. Number one, is there a way I can find out which prismas are light fast Two. Can I use all of them together on a piece? Thanks, guys. So, yes, finding out if Prismacolors are going to be lightfast is really easy with a current set. The reason I say that is 15 years ago, they may not have the same formula as what they have now. And this is very common with art suppliers where, I mean, even Derwent, they're constantly working to improve. And so their lightfast ratings on many of their products right now are better than what they were even a couple of years ago. So they're actually working to update all of that documentation. I was just talking to them last, you know, recently. And so while I can give you the link and we will put it in the show notes, you can easily find it too if you just want to do a search on light fast ratings or Prismacolor light fast ratings, it's the first PDF that comes up. But that's only going to be for the current colors. That's not necessarily the same pencils from 15 years ago. So it kind of gives you a base to go on, but I can't say that it's going to be 100% accurate. Like I said, companies constantly change their formulations. So that makes it a little bit harder to tell what years from 15 years ago are going to be. As far as using them all together on one piece, absolutely. Wax, oil base, all of these pencils were 
beautifully together. Yeah, that is something very important to keep in mind, though, that if you if you just go to any old, you know, light fast rating that the current publication is putting out for whatever company you're looking at. Yeah, it, they're talking about the current pencils that they're publishing right now that they're producing rather right now. And so, yeah, you can't just take some set that's really old and apply that because they change them all the time and they're hopefully they're getting better you know with the light fast quality of their pencils you you would think but if we're going by prismacolor their <laughs> rest of their quality didn't improve much over the last 15 years uh, did they it's either that you'll have to bring up that or the the john snow uh video so uh, i, I have this john snow I knew portrait either you guys should check out we'll put a li- prismacolor would make it in the in the dis- the the discussion here or the john snow video i have to say did you see on my recent studio tour i've got a box a new box of prismacolor art sticks i'm like don't judge me they're uh. they don't have wood casings so they can't be made wrong there's no casings to split on me they are oh, warped yeah, like little go. boats they're not actually sticks like they should be <laughs> But that's, you know, I did buy some last year. Wow. <laughs> that's surprising you bought those. Okay. I, well, they're the only color. It is nice that they, so. I know, I know. I wish more companies would do that. Me I think too. that's really nice. I love that, that they, that they offer that. But uh, yeah, I just wish more would do that and offer it in open stock. That would be nice. Yes. At the stores. Okay. Luckily, the sticks, though, I will say... They, I only paid like $36 or something like that. It was not very much money for the full set. Mm-hmm. So even when I have to replace just a handful of colors, not a big deal. But a lot of the colors are available open stock. Um, I had gotten yeah. a lot of the white for a different technique I was trying that I no longer yeah, use. Some but of those, can get some of them, not all Yeah, of them. there are some that are available. Yeah. So our next question comes from Jody, who says, Hello, John and Lisa. I just love your show. Thanks for all you do. My question is about camera versus scanner when it comes to reproduction of your artwork. Which one do you and Lisa use? What do you recommend? Thanks. Oh, well, thank you for enjoying the show. I appreciate that uh, feedback. Okay, so... I had a scanner. It was an Epson scanner. I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, it was awesome. It worked so, so well. Uh, I didn't have to think about any of the settings. I got those set, and I was good to go. And I upgraded to, I think that was Windows 7 when I did that. And I had to find the, I had to search around and and find the, uh, what is it, the codec? No, not the codec. Um, I, I don't remember. Anyway, something to make it compatible some DLL, I don't remember now, something to make it compatible with the operating system. And it I it was it was just a pain. And then there was some update that happened and it didn't work again. I'm like, great. So I recommend a scanner and I'll tell you why. Because you can get that set where you want it and you can just plug it up to your computer, get all the settings in place. You stick it on there. You don't have any skewing as far as uh, lining it up correctly and have any camera glass you know, aperture setting skews that that you'll have to trouble through and work with uh, with a scanner. It is made for that very thing, for taking an analog type of thing and reproducing that into a digital format. I mean, that's what it does, and it does it very, very well. Now, if you get a good high-end scanner that I'm not talking about thousands of dollars, we use those at work, but we have you can you can get them on a consumer level about 200 bucks. You can get a really high-end nice scanner that will give you a TIFF file type uh, which gives you a lot of control over the image after you uh, put it into your photo editing program and you can play with the levels and get it where you want 
that's what I would recommend. Now, I'm not currently doing that. I'm using my DSLR shooting it in RAW, but I am looking, I'm in the market and looking for a good scanner. There's so many things, you know, I'm looking at them. I just don't have time right now to really sit down and decide on which scanner that I want. The other problem with a scanner, though, is that you you've got to get one that's big enough for your artwork or you have a problem you can't they don't you know, you make them big enough it. for my artwork so and, that's not even an yeah, option for me right for a lot of them that that is the problem that is the limiting problem there is that they just don't make them large enough you can get one i think there was one i was looking at recently and it looked kind of nice but let me look at it here i think it was 17 by 22 you know is the largest you can go well if you go larger than that then you got to use your dslr and it's expensive when you get those bigger oversized scanners they are really not cheap well 200 bucks i mean but a dslr is a lot more expensive and you've and then but you have a lot more control if you're shooting in raw because you can change that file uh, in that type of file type you can change everything so much so yeah i mean i don't there's not a wrong or right way to do it it's quicker and easier if if you're doing work that's small enough to do a scanner but yeah, if you want more flexibility and control, and if you're doing large work, I think you need to go with a DSLR as what I would recommend. Yeah, I used to, for larger pieces, I mean, a 30 by 40 inch painting, uh, it would take 50 scans, and then I'd have to knit all of the scans together and try oh, to line them no up. Good. It took no, me longer no to scan than it did yeah. to actually paint. So that is mm. obviously not going to be ideal. That's what I used to do before I got the no. DSL, my first DSLR. So getting the DSLR and learning how to get photos with it for me is by far the easier. Even when I work small now, I almost, my scanner is not very good. It's a Canon something. It's terrible. Yeah, you got to get a good scanner. I mean, makes all the difference in the world. It was similar to your situation. I had one from back like Windows 98 time and it was a good scanner. And ever since Everything yeah. I've gotten since is kind of terrible. So, yeah, I just use the DSLR. It gives me a little bit more freedom on size. I don't worry about that anymore. And I do have to do some photo editing. So I have to know Photoshop in yeah. order to do any corrections to get it so that it looks as much like the original painting as possible. Because sometimes you'll get skewing in color and different things. But you can have that happen on the scanner, too. Yeah, but typically if you get it set, then and you have it have it the settings already set then you can keep it that way and you're pretty good to go and you don't have to do as much editing yeah now another thing to keep in mind though is don't discount you know some of these small boutique shops that that work with photo with photographers rather and you know some of them they'll have very nice equipment and large scale printers or uh, scanners rather and you can go there and they'll scan it for just a few bucks so and you you know you want to talk to them see what they do and how they do it and that sort of thing but that's something uh, that's an option but you know there's a time investment there that just wouldn't work for me yeah and make sure check with a few places because i looked into that before and i was quoted something like five three to five thousand dollars for a single image so what yeah so if you hear Did that you from just one, make a typo when you're talking no no i Did went you to say three person. to five thousand dollars that's what i was quoted. this was back in about 2001 so, yeah, the, um, I mean, or technology what? has come a long way since then, yeah. but check around because one place may have something that'll work for you where another won't. I personally wouldn't do that because I want to be able to have the control to do everything myself and not have to. Wait a minute. Out. Did they, 
I may have misunderstood you. Do you say that they would charge you $5,000 to scan an image? One image. Scan it and get it edited so it's just like the original so that I could make prints from it. That That's did ridiculous. not include any never prints. never heard of that. That only, I've yeah. never heard of it that. It was a print shop in, I want to say it was in San wow. Dimas, California. It was somewhere down in that area. And um, I was recommended to go in there with a mink coat or something. Huh? (laughs) Did you go in there with a mink coat and a big chain on your neck? No, I was your, you know, I was what, 22 at the time? And obviously had no money. Let's overprice it. (laughs) No, this was, I mean, and I'm not kidding. I'm not over exaggerating. Yeah. This happens. That's crazy. So, where one place may not be able to serve you, another might. Yeah. At that point, I gave up. I just assumed they were all going to be that way. And at the time, because of what technology was back then, that is possible. But, um, yeah, you may have to look around a little if you go that route. It's definitely easier, though, long term to invest in something that you can do yourself, especially if you produce a lot of artwork. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Next question. And our last question. All right. So Donna asks, for colored pencils that aren't as light fast as others, is it okay to use them if you're going to use a fixative with UV protection? What about putting them behind UV glass? Does this keep them from changing color or fading? You know, this is one of those that you're going to have a lot of differences of opinion. For me, I pulled all of my light fast or my non-light fast colors from my sets. Although I will say recently I did use them on a portrait. It was not a commissioned portrait. It was one I was doing for myself. I was using powder blender and I just wanted that color in this piece. It was a polychromos. The John Snow? No, no, no. Um, no? It was the redheaded girl with the flowers. But good call. We'll put a link to that. My bad. So... (laughs) Um, no, with this one, if I were to sell that, which when drawing this, I had no intention of selling it. I was using it for making the video. But if I wanted to sell this, I would let the buyer know this needs to be framed behind UV glass. Um, you can use a UV spray. I feel safer with the UV glass because it's more solid. A lot of times with sprays, you don't cover the entire piece. You think you did, but you didn't. So I, with that, I feel more comfortable or use both. You could use a UV protecting spray yeah. and the UV glass. But I yeah. would just be upfront with the buyer and let them know that this needs to be kept behind glass. And I've talked to other pencil artists who are perfectly comfortable using colors that are not light fast. They just put it behind the UV glass and they've never had any trouble with that. So it's going to depend on what you're comfortable with. My answer again is just I would be upfront with a buyer and let them know, hey, a couple of questionable colors here. I would use UV glass when you frame this. Yeah, it does come down to education, right? I mean, you got to you got to inform the buyer anyway, I think. I the best thing to do is to let them know the best protection of artwork is to use UV protected glass. And then, yeah, you're, I don't know, it's its just so much easier just to get rid of any fugitive colors. Just get them out of your set, you know, and if you are going to use them, like Lisa said, just be upfront about that and make sure you educate. Talk to them about how to protect artwork. Uh, that's the biggest thing about it. So this question comes up constantly. And, you know, my recommendation is just get rid of colors that you know, have on the blue wool scale or whatever scale you're using the ASTM, make sure that, you know, you're using light fast colors, if if at all possible for anything that you're going to be selling commission work or otherwise. All right. So Lisa, I don't want to go without uh, mentioning Audible. We always forget to do this ad. I don't know why. <laughs> I always forget about it. But anyway, I love Audible. Lisa, are you listening to anything recently? What about on that long plane trip you just rode on? Yeah, I was you listening. listening um, I don't even remember what I listened to there, but I just started another one from the other series, um, Etched in Bone, which I'm really excited about. It's the last in the series. I've been so looking forward to this book coming out. So 
Yeah, that's what I've been cool. listening to. You know, and you guys can go over to audibletrial.com slash CP podcast and you can get a book, any book of your choice out of a selection of 180,000 titles to choose from. So this is the best library on the planet, I think. And you can choose whatever book you want. Listen to that for 30 days. It's yours to keep forever. Even if you cancel before the 30 days is up, you always keep that book. And the nice thing about it is you can listen on the go uh, through your um, through an app on your phone, your tablet, on your desktop, anywhere. And if you cancel, you still have access to your account and to that app. And if you don't like the book, you can also turn that back in and say, I was very unsatisfied with this book. Can I get a different one instead? And they'll do that. Such a great company owned by Amazon. So what would you expect? So go over there. Check that out. AudibleTrial.com slash CP podcast. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun, Lisa. Four weeks of Q&As. I love it. And if you have a question, we'll entertain that in a future upcoming show when we do another Q&A. You can write to us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. You can also enter a question over in a form that I prepared, sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A, and reach out to us at any time. Let us know what you like about the show, what you'd like to hear more of, and... If you like the show, do us a favor. You can go over and you can rate us on iTunes. And if you have a couple more minutes, you can go ahead and leave a a review as well. We would appreciate that. And we thank you very much for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at www.sharpenedartist.com. What? So you might as well just stop listening now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Take that out. <laughs> I don't like saying last question. That's the reason. What? What?